0: All right. Well, good morning again to everyone. Good morning and and welcome to what in, in many traditions would be understood as the Mount of Transfiguration. In the sense that we have come from our various places, our various abodes and domiciles. We have come to ascend, as it were, to this place, to this mountain where we are transformed, where we are transfigured, where we encounter the glory of God, and like in our story, from this mountaintop, we then will descend back into our world and into the challenges that attend to us. But while we are here during this time, on this mountain, we find ourselves, as with the disciples in today's gospel passage, listening and hearing God speaking, because today God clears up the confusion that had bedeviled the people in our gospel story and that bedevils many of us in our own day. The question is always there. From ancient times in this particular chapter, if you go back in chapter 9, this question is burning in people's hearts as it is in ours. Who is this Jesus who heals the sick, raises the dead, and forgives the sins of others. In gospel times, some said John the Baptist had come back from the dead. These words sent a chill through Herod because you might remember that he was the one who had ordered John's execution. And So for him to hear that maybe what was happening was John the Baptist come back from the dead be a chilling and frightening concept. Others said that Jesus was Elijah or some ancient prophet brought back to life. And in these days some might say, well, he's, he, he is a great and, and wonderful teacher, but not divine. He's um, my, my friend, but, but nothing more than that. Peter comes the closest by calling him the Messiah of God. But Jesus immediately flipped that idea on its head by predicting his coming trial of suffering, rejection, and death, a trial that no one would have thought would be for the Messiah, God's anointed one, a trial that only seemed to end in defeat on Calvary. But we know that his true end was victory and was resurrection and was the redemption of the world. But that was all yet to come. Our people there on the the mountain of transfiguration knew nothing of this, for the question still lingered, who is this Jesus? And so God spoke, this is my son, my chosen. The glorious answer came with a command, listen to him. And what does he say to us in the gospel? If anyone to become my followers, Let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Here is the crux of the matter, the challenge of following Christ. For once we affirm his identity, then what? Then what are we to do? We must leave the mountain to enter the muck and maelstrom of life. Just as we saw in the gospel passage where a desperate father pleads for his epileptic son whom the evil spirits hold in a vice grip of pain. This is our true calling and of Christ's calling to go from the mountain of transfiguration, from the mountain of glory to enter again into the maelstrom and the muck of life. But Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong that, you know, the mountain is a beautiful place. Worship is beautiful. Am I not right? Right? The, the, the singing of a the choir, the, 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 the flowers on the altar, just being gathered together in this space. This is a beautiful time. But our worship, of course, is also our work in the world. That, too, is worship. But here in our gospel story, the law and the prophets Represented by Moses and Elijah, converse with Jesus. And here there is this mysterious theophany this is what often happens in the Bible. If, if there's a, a, a cloud somewhere, then you know it's got to be God. That's just the way it is, from Genesis to Revelation. There's a cloud, it's God, and especially if there's a voice coming out of that cloud. <laughs> this is the joining of heaven and Earth. And here there is rejoicing. There's proclamation. Here. Here there are echoes of the heavenly host that praise God on the night that Jesus was born. You go back, of course, to the beginning of Luke's gospel. And what is it that the angels say that the heavenly host declares? Remember? They say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Here too is an echo of God's words to Jesus at his baptism. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Transfiguration gathers up all that has gone before and enshrouds us in a cloud of glory. So can it be any wonder that Peter wanted to make tents and, and hang out? It's good to be here, for here God speaks and not to Jesus alone, but to the disciples and to us. The majestic, glorious voice points to Jesus and says, this is my son, my chosen. Let all equivocation and doubt be set aside. God has spoken. Should we be surprised that this holy encounter, this story, these eight verses have been celebrated within the church for 1,600 years beginning with the Orthodox churches of the East and slowly, slowly, over the centuries making its way to the West and to us. We have come to an awesome moment. The disciples did not know what to make of it. Initially they kept it to themselves, but at some point we know they told the story and we do well to attend to their words, not just to their words but also to the words of Jesus Christ for did not God command us to listen to him earlier in the gospel Jesus frustrated and exasperated right exasperated listen to me he's doing miracles and he says in his says like you say a, a peak of, of frustration and, and perhaps anger why do you call me Lord Lord And do not do what I tell you. Yes, yes indeed worship is fine. Worship in a place is fine. The glorious moments of transfiguration thrill the soul but there is also the thrill when the gospel comes alive in our lives. We find ourselves truly following Jesus Christ. I began by likening him to a lamp shining in a dark place. A light who lights our way and delivers us from the dark disquietude of this world. And I would submit that these are anxious and disquieting times. Far, far to the east of us, the Taiwanese try to go about their daily business while the Chinese flex their military might. The Ukrainians soldier on, the Israelis and the Palestinians are at it once again, while here in our own country it seems that every election holds the fate of the Republic in its hands. Disquieting times indeed. Yet the light of Christ continues to shine. War does not overcome it. Our earthly arrogance and hatred Do not overcome it. In fact, these circumstances, these challenges present opportunities for Christ's light to shine even brighter in the world. To transfigure the hardened hearts. To bring solace and consolation and peace. But the light, of course, is not some sort of disembodied spiritual glow. The light is us. The church, birthed by resurrection. The light is us shining out. The glory of God, the glory of Christ is embodied in us. The miracle this is a quote, "The miracle that God has brought about in the church is not that like-minded people like each other, but that the most unlike people love each other. That's a quote from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, speaking this week at Lambeth, the gathering of the Anglican Communion. We can perhaps think of it as a mount of transfiguration for our bishops. They met under the title, God's Church for God's World, walking, listening, and witnessing together. Although this indeed was a long-scheduled meeting On everyone's calendar, we might say that in a sense Christ brought them there to work through their differences, which are manifold and are many, and to listen to each other, to listen to Christ, to witness and to remember that the Christian identity begins and ends in God's Son, in God's chosen one. For when all is said and done, brothers and sisters, and all the debates have run their course, and all of the animosities have been laid aside, Jesus must have the final say. And at times, he troubles us and disturbs us with these words that call for us to take up a cross, to walk in the way of suffering, to engage in self-denial, to somehow turn away from the possessions and things of the world. At other times, he confounds us, perhaps enchants us. The peace of the Lord, the peace of mind be with you, he says at the end of Luke's gospel, there after the resurrection, when he walks in, basically says, hey, you all got any fish here? I'm hungry. It's breakfast time. Enchants us. And then there are times when he comforts and reassures us. Do not be afraid, little flock, he says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We would do well, brothers and sisters, to attend to his words, to listen to them, and to put them into action, for they are the words of Jesus Christ who speaks for God. The passage that opens the letter to the Hebrews begins in this way. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son. And that Son is Jesus Christ who after being transfigured in glory came down from the holy mountain to continue his mission to bring us closer to God to bring us closer to each other to bring us to the realization that our identity our core sense of being lies not in what we hold in our political sense, what we may hold in other senses, but it comes from him, from his word, and from his life. We do well to attend to his words, for they are a lamp that shines in the darkness of these disquieting times, a light that lights our way.